Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's sermon podcast at Yarmouth Wesleyan. We hope that you are encouraged by the message that you're about to hear. Uh, and we'd really appreciate uh, if you would subscribe on Apple Music or follow us on Spotify. That really helps us continue uh, to do the work that we are doing. So thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the message. You may go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to... Uh... You are in for uh, a real treat today. Whether you are in the room or whether you are watching online, welcome to art class with Professor A.J. Plazier. Now, that clap was very, very abysmal for the amount of skills that I have and the artistry that you're about to see. Now, I know you all think that I'm a wildly gifted person. I know. I know you think I have loads of talents and you wonder why I don't sing, why don't I play the guitar, and I get it. You're about to see more skills and more talent than you can possibly imagine through this one hand. You'll be tempted to applaud. You'll be tempted to get my autograph after service. Please don't. I am but a humble servant of the Lord. Do you all understand? Now, some of you are on the peripheral. You're not going to be nearly as blessed as those in the center. So if you wanted to shimmy to the edge to take on the majestic artwork, I wouldn't blame you one tiny bit. But here it goes. Now you may not know this, some of you probably do, but uh, I've got a couple kids. I, I mean Julia and I. She lets me pretend that I'm a part of it, but it's, uh, it's barely a part of it. So I've got a daughter, as you can tell by her hair. That is my daughter. Thank you. She is nine years old, and she is a perfect child. I have a son. There. I'm sorry for robbing you of the glory of my artwork. I have a second son. I have a, I have a first son here. Now, here's the deal. These two were born not two years apart. So what happened was, child number one, my daughter came along after years of thinking we couldn't have kids, and so the Lord surprised us with a daughter, and so my wife said, you know, this kid took a long time and a lot of grace of the Lord. Who knows how long the second kid will take? It was about 17 months. Yeah, that wasn't part of the plan to have two kids under two, but our second kid showed up right on the heels of this kid. Now, what we were doing as parents is we were learning how to bring up kids, and we were learning how to instill certain values in them. And so we would say things to our daughter on repetition, because you know as a parent, as a teacher, you say things over and over and over again to, to have it sink in, correct? Right? So, so I would say things to Adele like, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. And I'd really emphasize the no matter what. Because I want her to know the older she got and the more complicated life got, no matter what she did, I want her to know, I love you no matter what. And I would say it so many times. I would say things like, I love you, and she would say, no matter what, in her little kid voice, much cuter than my man voice. And she would kind of go back and forth with me. And so when he came along so close to her, we were still ingraining it into her head as he picked it up. So Caleb picked it up because we were also teaching at Adele. They were kind of catching it at the same time. We knew we were teaching kid number one, but kid number two was right on the heels. Kid number two got it as well. So we'd say things like, we love you no matter what. 
We would say things like, you can tell mommy and daddy anything. Because we knew they were going to grow up to be little liars. <laughs> like all children. And so we wanted to teach them from a young age. You're going to be tempted to hide things from us. You're going to be tempted to not tell us the truth. We want to teach you that we love you no matter what. You can tell us anything. And so as we're doing this, we would say, we love you no matter. They'd say what? You can tell us anything. They would say kind of this call and response. And kid number one and kid number two were getting it. Now, you may or may not know this part of our story, but that's, that's fine. There was a few-year gap there with a few pregnancies that did not go so well. We all of a sudden, we moved to Yarmouth with two kids. A little terror showed up. <laughs> if you worked in the nursery, you know this little guy. He's four. So we have a few-year gap there. Here's what we realized. Values and things that we instilled into these kids over and over and over again, they knew it, they could repeat it, and they could say it back to us. We found them saying things like, Daddy, I love you no matter what. They know that's my line, bud. I say that. And so we found them going back and forth. But here's what happened. In this little gap, we forgot to teach him. <laughs> He's starting to wonder if we love him no matter what. We said it so much to the first two, we just thought, well, he's in the house. He's learning it too. We've had to start to tell ourselves he's not going to learn that by osmosis. We have to sit him down and say, I know you're hearing your brothers and sisters say things, but bud, we want you to know that we love you no matter what, that you can tell us anything. We've walked these two kids to school for a few years now. Number three stayed home. Not by himself, of course. But now he's going to start walking to school with us this year. And what we've realized is that you can tell the first generation something, you can almost assume it at the second generation, and you start to forget to say it at the third generation. That's the church. As I processed my time here as your pastor, I started to realize that there's things that I have said a lot year one and year two that I now take for granted that I know I believe it. Some of you know I believe it, but some of you don't know I believe it because you're kid number three. So what happened was I got here in 2016 and I would preach certain things. I would talk about certain values. I, would, I spent the whole First, sec, first or second year, see, it's already blurring to me, but I took a whole year and just preached on what it means to live in the kingdom for an entire year. And I'll have people say, we should talk about the kingdom. I did for a year. I've had people say to me, you know what book you should preach through? Ephesians. Like, I did for an entire summer. What's happening is there are things I told and taught and said to kid number one and kid number two, but the year's gap that brought on, new kids are coming to faith. They're like, hey, what do you guys think about this? Like, well, I dealt with that back in 2017. What I'm finding is that we almost need to start repeating ourselves so that we can instill the values to all the children. Now, I don't say children condescendingly. I say that like spiritual children that we are a spiritual family, that there are some of you who did not come to this church two years ago, three years ago, let alone five years ago. So when Paul says in his book, he's talking about what we do as pastors and teachers and preachers, one of the words he says to the pastors is don't forget to remind people. 
We love teaching new things because it gets me excited. I want to learn something new and teach something new. But so much of what we do as spiritual leaders and spiritual fathers and mothers is to remind people of the timeless truths. Does that resonate at all? Hello, my children. <laughs> Welcome. Some of you are kid number one, some of you are kid number two, and some of you are kid number three. So here's the deal. Some of you saw this on Facebook. I'm going to re-preach to you the very first sermon I ever preached. Now, some of you may be thinking, it wasn't good the first time. Don't preach it a second time. <laughs> So don't even message me. I already know how some of you are wired. I landed here on April the 1st. Fool's Day, right? And I got up here to preach on April the 3rd. Tom wasn't here yet. I was still texting Tom back in Fredericton. Dave wasn't here yet. There was other staff here, and I landed here on April the 3rd. And I said to you all, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I know I said that because on our website, you can go back and listen to that sermon still. It's still there. It's still on the website. It's called Follow the Leader. What I'm hoping to do today as we preach and teach, whenever you're watching this too, is that hopefully if you heard it the first time, I'm sure you remember it vividly. Like all the sermons I preach here, I'm hoping both the preacher and the sermon have matured over five years. I'm hoping that as I've poured certain values into kid number one, the values only get deeper into the Father's heart by kid number three. I am hoping that the things I said to you on April the 3rd, 2016, that I still believe them, I still stand by them, and only more so five years later. So I pulled up my manuscript from five years ago. I re-listened to the sermon from five years ago, and then I reworked it. But the passage is Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I hope you're there. If you have your iPhones or whatever things you bring with the Bible on it, please open it. I want you to track along. This is not my words. This is God's word. And so in Luke chapter 5, we have this very familiar story to many who grew up in the church. If you're new to the church, this may be a brand new story, but it's found in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, him being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of, I get this wrong every time, Gennaret, a big lake there. And he saw two boats by the lake. And the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down your nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had been brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, him being Jesus. I love this story. 
when we, when we got here, I opened up the sermon by saying that I was the new guy in 2016. Five and a half years later, I'm not the new guy, and the sermon isn't a fresh word. It's still a word that I believe in wholeheartedly, but I think it's actually grown and matured in ways that we apply it. And so what I said then and what I want to say tonight is that when you read this story, it is a literal story that happened that has literal meaning for that day and time. But I think there's also spiritual implications for all people at all times. So here's what I mean by that. When you look at verse uh, 4, it says that Jesus says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your net. I think there are many times in our journey, in our life, where we receive these promptings from Jesus. I tried to write nice and big so y'all can see it. I think there are times on our journey where God prompts us to do certain things. Now, many times on the spiritual journey, we associate our relationship with Jesus primarily by commands and moral law. Thou shall, thou shalt not. Like there's no will involved. Now, there is a huge part of our faith that is absolutely about God's commandments. But I think there are a lot of times as he leads us as his disciples where it is not a command he's giving us, but a prompting. Push out. Now, what we're going to get into in a few moments is that things are going to happen on the journey with Jesus that only come from hearing the promptings. Simon heard Jesus say, push out, and as they pushed out, let down your nets. There are so many times on the journey that you will feel these little promptings. Now, I can't say to you that I have very often heard the audible voice of Jesus. In fact, I will say that I personally have never heard his audible voice. So you might say, well, then how do you know God is prompting you? How do you know Jesus is prompting you? For me, and again, I think there's an element where God knows how to speak to people to get their attention. Some of you need a gentle whisper. Some of you need a boot up the backside. <laughs> Sometimes the prompting is this, as I've said to you other times, like a thumb pressing on my heart. There's this time where God will say something to me, call this person. Go visit this person. Send that text. Send that message. Lift that person up in prayer. Text that person. Just say you're praying for them where it's almost like this press on me that won't let go until I do it. When I do it, it's like, okay, that was, that was not just a hunch. That was not just intuition. That was God pressing on my heart. I've had times where God will prompt me by following me for days, nudging me. Just won't let me go. I've had other times, a great many of times, where God's prompting has come from the thumb on the chest and the affirmation by some of you. Some of you have stopped me in places and said things that just, like, ah, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm praying for. But there was an affirmation and a confirmation. I've had people text me prayers or passages of Scripture from this church to me, unbeknownst to them, that I was praying about that passage. You're going to preach it that night or that day. Like, come on, Lord. Just, should I? Shouldn't I? And then someone just, okay, Lord, like, I'm going to trust your promptings. Now, there are other people who may be more mystical about it, and that's your journey. I have not been one to kind of drop my Bible and see where it lands and hasn't been my journey. There's lots of parts of the Bible that I would not want to go and then go do likewise. 
So that's not been part of my journey. I have not been the kind of person that has been maybe spiritually superstitious about how God speaks. For me, as a traditional, long-time Christian, God has worked in more traditional, orthodox manners through His Word, the Spirit's promptings by the confirmation of the body of Christ. Now, for you, you're like, well, that was a lot of stuff at one time. For me, I believe there is wisdom when you're trying to discern God's promptings to have the Word, the Spirit, and the body of Christ. I have taken some of my promptings and nudges to some people in this church, board members, leaders, pastors, and presented it to them and saying, mm, I think you're off. I'm not sure you're hearing from God. I think your personal will wants that to happen. I think your selfishness wants that to happen. I've had to submit myself to other people in the church to say, am I on or off? And other times they'll say, I think you're right on. There are times I wish Jesus would stand in the flesh and say to me, face to face, whites of the eye to whites of the eye, push out your boat and toss your nets over. Don't you ever wish that? Tell me that you wouldn't find it easier if Jesus stood flesh and blood in front of you and vocalized what he wanted you to do. Because I think there are a lot of people in church, a lot of people following God, who would do what God wants them to do if they knew for sure it was what God wanted them to do right? You're not alone, right? So I think there are a lot of times on our journey that we get promptings from God. It's just who he is. So when when he says, push out your boat, cast over your nets, Peter says, "Mm, master, we just got in from fishing and we caught nothing. Now, I appreciate the fishermen in the community here. I have learned they don't appreciate me. I do a lot of pastoral appointments, a lot. I've never had a fisherman come to me for pastoral advice as it pertains to fishing. I'm not sure what the problem is. I think it's arrogance, to be honest. (laughs) So there's this master, like, I respect you, Rabbi, but we're the fishermen. You're the spiritual leader. I think we know how to fish. You can hear it in the verse, right? Master, I know what you're saying, but we just did that. But if you look carefully, it says, but if you say so. So here's, here's the kicker on the other side, is that after the promptings, it often follows with doubt and obedience. I told you I was good. Isn't that impressive? Now, you should be saying to me, and I wouldn't fault you for it, shouldn't doubt be its own step and then the next step being obedience? Shouldn't our journey be a journey where God prompts us, followed by us having doubt, now, Master, we already did that, moving into obedience? That would seem fair, wouldn't it? I think the problem with us teaching that there's promptings from God, followed by our doubt, which leads to our obedience, is actually not how it works. I think there are many times on the Christian journey that your doubt and obedience walk down the street holding hands. Any mature believers here with me? I would love to tell you that my obedience always follows after all of my doubt going away. I'd love to tell you that. I would love to tell you that after I work through all of my doubts, it's nothing but wholehearted obedience. I'd love to tell you that. And so this past year, 
when my wife had a prompting that we should take on a foster child, guess which one I had? Whole lot of doubt. And I wanted the doubt to go away. But what I found was I had to learn how to be obedient with doubt still present. See, doubt is my part. I have doubt. And so what happens on the journey when I want to be obedient, I look to me to sort out my doubt versus my confidence. And then when I sort me out, then I can be obedient. The real issue for Christians is not for you to look at your doubt, but to go back and ask, who is the one prompting me? You all should say amen. Go for it right now. You are not a barometer of if you should do the thing that God asked you to do. God says to Moses, go and let my people go. Like, ooh, I'm not a very good speaker, God. Prompting, followed by doubt. Doubt not in the prompter, doubt in the one being prompted. Uh, God, Jesus says to Peter, get out of the boat and walk on water. I'm not sure I should do that. I can't walk on water. Not when he walked is when his eyes were fixed on the prompter. When he started to sink is when he fixed his eyes on the strength of the prompted. And so what happens on the Christian journey is after our promptings, we fix our eyes on ourselves and ask ourselves the question, can we do what the prompter asked us to do? That's not the question. The question is, will I be obedient to the promptings of the prompter? Not my first time preaching. When you learn to walk in obedience, something masterful happens that only God can do. He gives you evidence that his hand was all over it. They threw the net over the side, said, I know you said we should do this, but there's nothing there to be caught. But if the prompter says so, then we'll do it. And they started hauling that net over, hand over hand. And the fish just started, the lobster just started filling the boat. See, there's this thing where when we walk in step with the prompter, it gives him space and opportunity to pour out his unusual blessings on the obedient. Now, because you're an intelligent bunch of people, you're wondering, uh, I was prompted, I was obedient, and I saw nothing happen. Right? Be honest. This is my first church service. I know that I did what I was supposed to do and nothing happened. Sometimes that's timing. Wouldn't it be nice if it was always push out your boat, cast your net, all the fish comes in? Wouldn't that be nice? Don't make me preach alone. I'm not the new guy anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? I would love it if every time God prompted, the evidence was bang, bang. That would be phenomenal, like this story. Sometimes the timing is uh, prompting, obedience, evidence. And that in-between time, where we're hanging in the air, starts to wonder, did I actually hear the prompting that I thought I heard? Timing is a huge part. Sometimes there is a perspective shift that has to happen. I'm not so sure that the obedience from the prompting was about fish. I don't believe 
that the point of their being obedient was that they would learn that there was fish in the sea. I think the point of their obedience was to learn that Jesus was Lord over creation. If it was just a fishing exercise, that seems a bit small. I think what he wanted them to realize is the one who is prompting you, yes, I can provide the fish. Yes, I own the cattle on a thousand hill. Yes, yes, yes. I am Lord, sovereign God over all of it. That's who's prompting you. And the fish, that's just my illustration. You tracking still? And so sometimes it's a perspective shift. It's timing, it's perspective. And then sometimes, yes, we do have to be honest. Sometimes when we get a prompting, we step in obedience, we don't see the evidence. There are times we need to go back to the prompting and say, did I hear correctly? There's many times I did the best that I could to discern the voice of the Lord. I submitted it to the body of Christ. I discerned my best, and guess what? I still misfired. Do you know what, though? I would rather misfire trying to discern the Lord than not risk and try at all. I'm okay. That might be the Lord prompting somebody. Grab that. I might need just to step out in faith and act in obedience, and God might say, the evidence was just you acting in obedience. I just need to see if you would step out. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now, here's the thing. After we have the promptings and the obedience and the evidence, it leads over to trust growing. You knew I was going to write that because I said that to you in 2016. (laughs) Because what happens is, after the prompting, after the doubt and the obedience, after the fish, what happens is Peter falls face down on his knees, on his face, prostrate in front of Jesus. Wild act of humility. What's on the floor of the boat? Fish. They already said the fish were coming over in droves. It's not him bowing in a nice clean sanctuary. He just goes down in the fish. He just gets real and raw before God and says like, this is all yours and I'm just one of yours. You own all these fish, you own the sea, and from this day forward, you own me. There is a humble submission and worship to God in that moment. Like, well, that's just a moment. No, it's bigger than that because at the end of that, and in that verse in verse 11, it says they threw down their nets and follow Jesus. The story is the story of the first disciples being called. Now, what I said to you on April the 3rd, I'll say to you again, because I still believe it to be true, although I believe it more today. What happens on the journey, though, is it never stops. It's not like you come to a point in your life where God prompts you one time, you battle through doubt, and you obey, you see the evidence of him working, and then your trust grows, and you get a little graduation gown and cap, like, I did it. I graduated the Christian life. This never stops. God, in his goodness and his generosity, keeps leading us by new promptings. That's good news. I don't want to have a prompting from God. I want to have promptings from God. I want him to prompt me to move to Yarmouth in January of 2016. But I don't want to be the last prompting I want him to prompt and say, you guys should plant a church in Barrington and partner with a bunch of crazy people up there and see a new gospel outpost. 
I want to have promptings that says, you should rent the Mariner Center, wave the flag of Jesus, and see if you can pack the place out with Christians worshiping the Lord. It's like, wow, that's not been done before. I don't know if people will come. Yeah, but if they do, think what will happen. Barrington, why would you plant a church in Barrington? There's nobody, no one lives there. Just like 15 people. Sorry, Barrington people, if you're watching. They had 270 people to their beach service last weekend. Baptized five people. God is doing some cool things out there because there were some promptings, some doubt, walking with obedience and evidence, and guess what? Trust is growing, so guess what the new prompting is? That's right. I'll preach tonight, thank you very much. <laughs> we're going to keep doing it. It's going to be, you should put a well in somewhere. I don't know if we can raise $13,000 a well. I think you can, you should. New wells around the world. Trust grows. We're putting in our sixth well this year because Costa wants to put their own well in as a church family. And this never stops. Agreed? Now, what I said to you on April the 3rd, what happens is those circles get bigger. See, when I got here the first year, it was like, all right, let's get some unity back in the place. Let's get pointing on a vision. Let's get one. We had one service our first summer here. One service. Like, all right, maybe we should go back to two services. Maybe we should go back to three services. That seems so easy now compared to campuses. Getting another service going seems such a small prompting, but it was big back then. But as we move through this circle, God expanded what he would ask of us. There's things where God is prompting and nudging us to do that it gets bigger and bigger, and guess what happens? The bigger the prompting, I'm going to tell you, the doubts don't go away, the doubts get bigger. It was a sober coffee when Tom and I sat at a table and we said, are we really going to do South Church? We're really going to do it. Tom and I had the longest two working staff together on staff here, and we're at eight years together, and I booted him from the nest. Can I tell you something? He's here somewhere in the room. It would have been a lot easier to keep him right here. Isn't he kind of good at what he does up here? I love when he leads worship. I love his friendship. I love doing life with him. I would love to keep him right here. But guess what? Wouldn't see the evidence if we play it safe and deny the promptings, we don't get to see God's hand at work. We don't get to have our trust grow. The circles start to shrink back down again. It's like, Lord, keep pulling us out. And so what my word to you today, if you're like, what is the point of all of this? Whether you're my first child, my second child, or my third child, you are somewhere on this journey with the Lord. Like, well, I don't hear anything. No, you are, because I know how good God is. He will start prompting you. Maybe tonight you'll receive your first nudge from the Lord. Like, God, I need to hear from you. God, I need you to say something. God, I need you to speak to me. God, would you do something? He will. I promise you, he's good. And you will maybe take little steps. Long before Peter walked on water, he pushed his boat off the shore. Pushing your boat off the shore is a lot smaller prompting than walking on water. God has a way of just moving that out little by little. If you're a nine-year Christian, like my oldest child, maybe you're going to get a pretty big prompting. If you're like a four-year-old, like my youngest child, maybe you can get a very small prompting. But as you go on that journey, he's just going to nudge that in and out. He's going to stretch your face, and you're going to get more and more dependent on him. 
And the more dependent you get on him, the more room he has to pour out blessings and to show off and to do glorious things in your life. The more you shrink down, the more it chokes off his ability to be gloriously displayed in your life. 2016 feels like a lifetime ago. In some ways, it feels like an eternity ago. It seems so simple and so easy and manageable. And now ministry feels so complex and a pandemic and this and this and this. All I'm learning is to get more and more trusting of the Lord. So church, I believe God's nudging some of you. I believe God has been nudging some of you. I believe God's been asking some of you to step out and to risk and to do what might seem like the impossible. And I am begging you, don't let doubt stop you. The doubt will not go away. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith and let him pour out fruit and let your trust grow because of it.